I want to start by making sure that we kind of understand some of the things that I said last week. I want to make some clear, a couple of clarifications. When we were talking about the article, and if you weren't here, we read an article that was written by, I don't know, some opinion piece or whatever. Yeah, whatever. But anyway, it was an opinion piece written by somebody, and, and it was just um, a, an example of how the world views Christians and what they value. And, what, and I made several comments that probably are a little bit controversial, and I wanted to bring that up. What I wanted to point out with the use of the article is that what the writer defines as bad, as Christians, we should define it as good. Okay, and that's and, and so the point was not that um, I, didn't, I didn't want to argue or debate about, say, patriarchy or matriarchy or any other stuff. My point rather is that these things are defined as bad in our society, and these things ought to be defined as good by Christians. All right. And my favorite example is that you know, when we talk about misogyny, they talk about, you know, that Christians don't like women. And Jesus did more for women than anybody in the history of the world. Okay, and I think that we need to understand that one of the things in um, seminary that I learned was they always you want to use politically correct speech. And so they would change him or sons or men to women or them or men and women or children or whatever. And the other day, um, something was drawn to my attention and it was on. What was it um, in, in John? Where he said they will be called sons of God to all who believe in him. That we called sons of God. Now that is really significant because the actual word is sons. And we say, oh, that's so sexist. What about women? And in their society, women had no status, okay? And they had no uh, position. They could not inherit. But when Jesus said to all who believed in him, okay, he gave the right to become sons of God. He granted to women equality as heirs of the kingdom. And something that had never been done before. When, when I say that Jesus did things for women that we cannot begin to comprehend now, that's what I'm talking about. We're so worried about whether or not we use the correct pronoun include in that, in that biblical scripture that we read that as children of God, that we don't understand what he established for women when he said all the, the sons of God, all who believe will be, son, will be called sons of God. Because women couldn't inherit, only the sons inherited. But all is men and women. So he established such value for women. So when we make when we make much ado about superficial matters, we miss the enormity of what Christ has done for us. And so I want us to hold on to that thought. I mean, because it's huge when he says, all who believe, men and women who believe, will inherit the kingdom. That's essentially what he said in the language of his day. So my point was to point out what is good and what is bad. When we hear things in the world and say, oh, this is terrible. We talked about patriarchy. Oh, this is so bad. In the history of the world, we have never seen a matriarchal society ever in any place or any time. And I am not for disempowering women. You just got to know I am opposed to being subservient. Okay. I mean, it's, it's hard enough for me to be subservient to Jesus. I want you to know. And uh, But my point, though, is that like, how is our society flourishing right now? Are y'all proud of it? Do you look at it and go, wow, what a great job all the women have done? I would suggest to you the problem isn't patriarchy or matriarchy, it's sin. And so you don't want to get rid of all male or all masculine qualities, right? So that you can raise up women. You haven't advanced women at all if you have to degrade men, all right? So my point is rather to make, this is a claim that's made. And I want to say, yeah, that claim's made and it's true, okay? That it's patriarchal, but... 
Okay. Anyway, it how you know, so what the world defines as bad, many times Christianity defines as good. We discovered things in the articles that were patently false. Okay. But that was a point that I wanted to make to y'all. The question that we have to decide for ourselves in our own lives is who decides what is good and who decides what is bad. Okay. Who's doing the deciding? Is it going to be your preacher, Burke? Or is it going to be a politician, Biden? Woo! Okay. <laughs> okay, what was I going to say now? Okay, who decides what is good and who decides what is bad? And I said that, that God is the authority, that Christianity is authoritarian in the sense that God has laid down, here's who you are, I created you, I gave you life. Here's who you are to be, right? Then that is an authoritarian position. And we must submit to that, whether we like it or not. And I got to tell you, I don't really like that. I don't like that part of it. I have argued and butted heads with God so many times in my life. I should be stupid. I might be. Okay, stupid. Because I just, I want my way. Lord, if you just listen to me, I have some great ideas. And if you haven't done that, you know, mm. You're a better Christian than I. I argue with God all the time, and he does not appreciate it, okay? He just laughs, right? So I want to make um, two points here. In the middle, we're, we're in the, the, you know, the second point that I want to make here about last week is that we're in the middle of a human and a social experiment that is unprecedented in history, completely unprecedented, right? And it's spectacular in its proportion, and, um, and, it's, and it's measure, okay? And we're going forward as a people, as a civilization, as a century, okay? With great, without even batting an eye, without any curiosity, without any concern, we're utterly confident in all that we know. And I think that is exceedingly dangerous, right? I do not think our five-year-olds need to worry about gender. I think their biggest decision should be whether they want grape or strawberry jelly on a peanut butter sandwich. You know, it is inappropriate. It is holy. And to begin to adjust these things for children. And we're, and we're, we're willing to do that without, without, any, you know, without any doubts at all. Okay. And I want, you to, I want you to realize that that is a dangerous, there's such hubris in that in our, in our society, among our scientists and medical professionals. You know, I think that's a very dangerous thing to do. I'm not, I'm not going to, I don't want to get into a discussion about sexuality today. That's not my point. My point is that we're moving forward with no serious reflection of good and bad. We can do this, therefore we will. What did Paul say? Everything is allowed, but some things are not beneficial. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. All right. So, uh, you know. And what I would like more than anything else, the reason we're talking about Genesis is I want us to reframe our thoughts in terms of our creator, not in terms of the great giants of the uh, intellectual giants of our time, all three of them. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to form our thoughts and, and, and the opinion makers of today's societies on either side of the political spectrum. I'm not interested in any politician forming any thought I have anywhere. Okay. I mean, if you got yourself elected, you're probably not worthy. I mean, you know, it's just um, you want to you want to conform your mind to Christ, 
And you want, you want the creator, you want to understand yourself as created and answerable to God himself, because our world is going to need saving dramatically, desperately, and it's going to be up to us to do it. Okay? I want you to understand it. That's why we're talking about Genesis, because you go, Genesis, really? Genesis? Yeah, really Genesis. We need to wake up and be serious and get serious about the gospel. All right? And what, 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 who are we really? What are we doing? What kind of persons are we? What's really, what, what, is, what is reality about? Do you get to make it up? No, we don't. Let's open the word of prayer. Gracious God, as we gather, we ask that you would reveal yourself to us. Calm my mind, O oh Lord, and slow my mouth. Speak through me, in spite of me. Grant wisdom and understanding to your people. They might know you better in order to love you more. These things we pray in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen. All right. The series is entitled The Mind of Christ. Y'all get that? Anyway, um, and the reason has all the reasons I just said. We want to see the world as Christ sees the world, right? We want to um, um, we want to we want to know how God understands it's his creation. What is he thinking? Right. And every Christian needs to seek and to understand for him or herself, right? Um, God's intent in creating. What was he doing when he created? And what was his purpose? What was, he, what, was his, what was his design? What was he trying to accomplish? We also need to see what went wrong. I think I'm supposed to be on another one. I don't know how to switch. Now, we need to see God's intent. And we need to understand what went wrong, all right? Because there's no discussion of what's wrong in society now or what's wrong with human beings now that we don't think we can fix. And I want to say everything that's truly wrong with the human race is something only God can fix. So when you deny God entirely, you have no hope whatsoever of repairing the deepest and most profound um, corruption of the human soul. It's not, you don't have it. It's not available to you. Right? And Jesus Christ, though, but we need to recognize that these two things together. I don't know what we're doing. We, got a tech we have a tech problem. I'm glad it's not just me. I'm going to keep talking. Sorry. We're climbing right over there, John. Okay. When we know what God intended, when we know what went wrong, okay? What? <laughs> Sorry. Did that help y'all a whole bunch? We weren't sending out the red slide at the Zoom was oh. Gotcha. Whatever he said. Okay. All right. When we recognize these two things together, then we finally are in a position when we know what these are, then we can know what God is trying to accomplish in our lives today and in our world today. Right? Um we need to be prepared to grasp salvation as he offers it, not as we define it, but as he offers it, right? Um, so Jesus Christ, God came into his world that he created, okay? And he set forth his salvation as he planned. And you can jump in and join or you can bail out. Those are the choices. You don't get to redefine. I know, I've tried it. Lord, really, I've got a plan. I have an idea, listen to this. But my, I'm telling you, it's his to do with, and you can either be a part of that or not. Those are the choices we have. Do you want to follow him? And we're going to talk about what happens 
when you don't, all right? Um, look, next slide, we have a next slide. This is the question that each of us had. Why are you a Christian? Why are you a Christian? What do you hope to get out of it? Why are you a Christian? You don't have to answer that for me right now. I want you to answer that for yourself in your mind. Why are you a Christian? From what are you being saved? Right? And what will you become when you are saved? Who will you be? What will you become? Because those are critical questions. Right? And those are defined, except for the first one, outside of you. Right? God is going to answer from what you're being saved. You don't answer that. Okay. What will you become when you are saved? You don't get to answer that either. Only God knows what he formed in the womb. Only God knows what his intent was when he made you. Okay. But why are you a Christian? Are you willing to buy into letting God answer the next two questions for you? Because that's important. Are you going to let God answer the next two questions? You can tell God yourself. Let me tell you, this is who I want to be. Remember? At six, I want to be Cinderella. Let's all remember. Okay. Who do you want to be? And the Lord says, no, you don't get to be Cinderella. That's not your choice. Okay. What I'm trying to convey here is not only how we should live as Christians, but also that Christianity itself is true. In fact, it is the only complete truth in our world today, entirely and completely. Christianity is real, and, and, and creation is God's gift to us. It is generous. It is loving. He did not have to give us life. And so we need to embrace that, and we need to rejoice in it, and we need to love it, even when it's hard and painful, because it's always a gift. It's always a gift. You know, living as a disciple of Jesus Christ is the only way to live life fully alive. That's how it's important to understand what it means to be a disciple, to understand what it means to be fallen, what's really broken in the world. The only way to be fully alive is to be alive in Christ, to abide in him. Right? So we want to go back into the salvation that he offers. When you go to the salvation he offers, you've got to figure out what we're being saved from. Okay? I know I'm talking in a circle, but I want to drive home the importance right, of understanding Genesis and understanding What's wrong with us? What's wrong with our world? What God is actually doing? If we could recover any two things in the church today, among all Christians, it would be these two things. We all talk about Jesus, right? We don't say the same thing when we're talking about Jesus, but we all talk about Jesus, right? I would two things. One, you're created, okay? You're not self-creating. Your identity is not yours to choose. It was given to you by God. It is uniquely and wonderfully yours, okay? as God has so determined. And the second thing would be sin. You don't know, we don't know who we really are because we're like covered in sin. I mean, just kind of like muck and murk. You pull it out, you see a diamond underneath. You go, wow, look there, it's an uncut diamond. Oh, really, I thought it was a pile of mud. I mean, you know, a dirt, a dirt clod sitting there. Turns out to be a diamond underneath. That is what God sees. And that's who you want. That Christian life is spent becoming that, getting rid of the crud so that you can be who God imagined when he formed you in the womb without sin, of infinite value, majestic, noble, designed uniquely for communion and fellowship with God himself, right? I want you to think about the world you live in day in and day out. Do you get up in the morning and say, today, today is a day to meet God again. Today is a day to see a little more of how, how well, of the amazing things God can do in me and through me. We should. It's such excitement. 
and it never ends. It's always possible. Every morning it starts new. Okay, can we have another slide now? Here's what I want you to grasp. And, and this is from 1 Corinthians 2. It said, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor mind conceived, nor the heart of man imagined, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. And I say that because remember last week we talked about the ascension. You need to know what your destiny is and where you're aimed. You need to keep your eye on the goal. You want to keep one eye on the track so you don't trip and fall and one eye on the goal so you know where you're going. Right? And if you're not, if you're not aimed toward that, what, what no heart has even begun to imagine, what no eye has seen or, or what no ear has heard, wonders beyond belief. Okay, beyond our imagination, if you are not aimed toward that, then how are you going to stay steady on the track when it gets hard? You have to keep an eye on the goal and the prize. And you have to know that it's greater and more wondrous than anything you experience here. What did we talk about last week? Death. Are we not going to die? I got to say the end of this is like dust and ashes. <laughs> you want more than that. And God has said, I've got so much more than that. I'm calling you back to me. I'm calling you to life. And what you have not seen, what you can't even imagine, I have all that in store if you'll just love me. For I love you more than you can ever merit. That is who God is. He wants what's best, even if it's painful. Y'all ever punish your children? I used to, when my son was little, I'd, I'd spank him and he'd run in a circle and say, when I, I, didn't, I didn't spank him enough, I'll just tell you. But anyway, um, he would run in a circle and go, I will be good, I will be good, I will be good, I will be good. Okay, and he wasn't good, okay? But that's what he would do. And I feel like, you know, a lot of us bargain with God in the same way. I'll be good now. I'll be really good. You know, God corrects those he loves. And he disciplines those he loves. Right? So sometimes it's really hard. And I can assure you, he wasn't good at four when he's promised he'd be good now. I don't make, please don't thank me. I'll be good. You know? Neither are we good as God is good. That's what, I want us to aim for this destiny. I want us to strive for this. All right? And there's some sense in which every day you should already begin to experience this, that you would keep before you this vision. Do not be so banal as to bring salvation down to today. Sometimes great things happen. Sometimes awful things happen. Most of the time, life is pretty mundane and mediocre. I don't know about y'all, but you know what? I vacuum sometimes. Sometimes you have to clean the bathroom. You know, the yard's got to be mowed. Pay the bills. Pretty mundane stuff, is it not? And yet you still remain the noble immortal child of God in the midst of that. So never lose sight of what you truly are in the middle of me. Don't bring salvation down to whether or not you, I don't know, achieve something here. God grants you good things and bad things according to his purposes, not according to your desires. Right? And if you're following him, you'll delight in those. You know, the scripture says, oh, God's going to give you the delight of your heart. You know, when you seek him first, he's the delight of your heart. That's what, the, that's what the, the psalm says. And when you delight in him, turns out he gives you, grants you all, you know, all the delights of your heart. It's amazing how that works. Right? I want to contrast how we live in our world and all the things that, think of how much our world wants out of today. You know, we expect so much in terms of material things, in terms of self-satisfaction, in terms of our own, our own wants and desires and needs. And I go, 
this is going to pass away. And if we don't live as a people who are certain this is passing away, then how will the world who doesn't know God ever understand that there's something more to which they can aspire? The church should not buy in to the idea that we are going to try to accomplish what we want on earth because the end of this is death. And that includes this church, that includes this town, that includes this nation. The end of this is death. And I think it's glorious. I think that I like being alive. I like, you know, I, I love my backyard. I like having, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying these things are enjoyable. They are just temporal and passing. Do not invest in that. Do not invest wholly in that which is passing. We know that, right? But do we live that way? How many of us think it's so important if we get this figured out? If this child doesn't do this or this, you know, whatever. It's so urgent. I need more air right here, please. Um, I want you to remember that death is, is a grace. You don't want to live a life forever. We talked about that last week. In which you are full of sin or, or a life full of disease. A life where there's evil. The beauty of death is that eventually you'll pass from this world into the world to come. Where there is no more sorrow or pain or crying or suffering. And, and we want to we live a court for that. Right. And, and I think death is awful. I, I guess, you know, it's been awful. It's been a long, hard year of death. And yet still death is just temporary. Even that's temporary. You know, when, um, when my when my mentor died, it really nearly killed me. And um, I had a really hard time with that. And um, because he was young. Um, anyway, I was so, I told Bill that I was very mad at him. And Bill said, aren't you mad at God? And I was like, Lord, no, I wouldn't be mad at God. He didn't die. I was like, oh, no, no, gosh, that man died. How could he die? That was so rude. He just nearly killed me. But we need to bear that in mind, okay, that, that death is temporary too. And we can live accordingly. I don't know what slide we're supposed to be on. I want to ask you a question now. Where in scripture, nope, did you move back up? Nope. Did I erase that one? I could have. Where in scripture does it say nothing on my sheet? Where in scripture do we talk about sin for the first time? Genesis? Where is sin mentioned the first time? Genesis is correct. What do you think? Genesis what? Okay, Genesis 4. It's not mentioned in three. I use this all the time, Genesis three, all right, as, as the description of sin. But it's really a description of death, as we talked about last time, okay? Um, because, I mean, Adam and Eve sinned. Don't get me wrong. They were all over that sin, eating that fruit, right? But what they did was they brought death into the world. You know, Romans five, the death comes through um, Adam. It says sin comes through Adam, too. But sin does not really show up until you get to Cain. It's really important a d- distinction. In the course of time, Cain brought forth, brought to the Lord an offering of fruit, of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. 
the other translation, our sin's desire is for you. Sin's desire is for you, and you must master it. All right. So sin is seen as a singular thing. It is a. It is not a um, list. We have lists in scriptures of transgressions, specific sins, but sin itself arises out of and pursues us and seeks us. Okay, and it is a thing that moves on our in our world today. Right, it moved on Cain. It's crouching at your door. It's sitting. It's a thing. Is it alive? It's a attitude. It's a. I don't know. We'll learn more, maybe. What is sin? But sin comes at all of us and is a thing that's moving toward us to own us, to claim us. And if you don't master it, it will master you. And now I want you to stop and think about how many times we embrace sin. You know, I think it's interesting that we're talking about all these different identities everywhere, right? And then they started they started talking about identities. I was like, oh, I'm on all that. Okay, sign me up. So anyway, then the doctor said, no, you can't do that. Right? So you can't have that for an identity. But if you've ever tried to lose weight, how much does sin master you? Think about that. You ever, anybody in here ever been an addict? You try to give something up? I used to smoke. I swear to goodness, I think that was the hardest thing on earth I ever did was quit smoking. Okay? Because I liked it. It's a horrible habit. I'm not defending it. But I'm just saying to you that it masters you and it owns you. And this goes on in our society today all the time. When without any understanding, then we are completely subject to it unless you can stand against it. And what did, what did, what did the Lord say to Cain? Cain, you need to, you need to, you need to fight against it. You need, it's crouching at your door. It's waiting for you. It's going to own you. Don't give in. Master it. Don't let it rule you. And what did Cain do? Like, yeah, I'm going to kill my brother. I'm all over that sin. Let me have it. How many of Cain's descendants are on the face of the earth today? How many? Zero. Nothing left. Isn't that tragic? I think it's tragic. Scripture attributes sin and death to Adam. Sin is portrayed as a force. It's a singular noun. It's a force in the world, and it's not for good. It's for evil. Okay? As uh, Stephen DeYoung put it, the biblical scholar I mentioned, said Adam opened the door for sin, but sin was introduced in the world through Cain, because Cain chose evil, all right? Sin actively sought Cain, the Lord warned him, and Cain should have struggled against it, but he didn't. Because you know why? Because we like our sins. I liked smoking. I liked it, and it mastered me, and it owned me, and I liked it, you know? I don't know any other way to describe that. I like sweets. There you go. And crackers with cheese. There you have it. There, I can name a whole list of things I like that don't have anything to do with what is good or right by me, for me. Do you? I'm sure I'm the only one in here who struggles with things like that, right? Look at y'all. Oh, no, no, no. I've never had three glasses of wine on one night, just two. Never do any of that. <laughs> I saw that, say so. Anyway. I just want us to grasp that things that we call good today and say are natural to us are very destructive oftentimes, you know, and that's fine until apparently everything that destructive that we want to do to ourselves and for ourselves, right, is fine unless it makes you, our arteries clog. And then the doctors can say, no, you can't do that because that clogs your arteries. 
not funny. So anyway, sin is natural to us. It comes to us naturally. We like it. And we're comfortable with it because we're fallen people and we're broken. But sin stands like a fog or a, or a concrete wall between us and God. And it's also, it comes natural to the fallen creature. It is unnatural for God's children. We want to recapitulate to life, not to death. Go back to life, not to death. What do we know about if you eat too many sugars or what, too much sugar? What did I just say? It clogs your arteries, right? Doesn't matter how good that, I made a cobbler last night. It's pretty good. <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, it's bad for you. It's still, it's still, that leads to death, does it not? The things that we choose for ourselves that are sinful will lead to death. And the things that we allow God to grant us will lead to life. Okay. As John was talking, I just heard the tail end of that. I'm really tired of the culture that doesn't approve of Christianity. I don't really care. You know what? I think the Christians need to be more Christian before we worry about the culture. I'm all over that. But the reason that the culture doesn't like it is because we have named sin as, as destructive for human beings. The very things that we like the most, right, is destructive for human beings. I want you to think about, um, I don't know, the things you own. How much of what you own owns you? My lawnmower is broken, and I'm, I, I, I managed to get the front yard mowed, but not the backyard. And I stand in my back window and look out in the backyard and go, oh, my gosh, it's a jungle. You know? It, I mean, what, are there a million things I could be doing? I'm looking out the back window going, it's a jungle out there. Literally. Okay? It's like a knee high in a couple of places. It's awful. How much of the things you own own you? We enjoy our sin. We enjoy the state of rebellion. We enjoy equality with God. We enjoy idolatry. Those things we all enjoy. Right? I want you, um, but, you know, sin sets out to destroy. Isn't that what Jesus said? It's the thief who comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. We're like, oh, but, but it seems so good. You can't attract somebody. You know, the illustration I use is like, say, bank robbery. Y'all interested in that? Not especially. No, I mean, you know, so it's really hard to tempt me or tempt you with robbing a bank, right? But gossip, maybe, or pride, selfishness, personal greed, not giving what you should. Think about all those. Those are real temptations for us, are they not? Hmm? Okay. Sin sets out to destroy us, and so much of our culture is a, is a celebration of, 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 the, of sin. It's a celebration of sin. And so let us distinguish ourselves from that by recognizing sin for what it is and accepting that God knows what sin is and what it is not. Okay? Who defines good and bad for you, Christian? It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that defines what's good and bad. Okay? The virtue of God, the holiness of Christ the perfection and the goodness of, of children who belong to God, sons and daughters who are heirs of the promise. Let's look at the next slide. I'm going to talk a little bit about what's wrong with. Apparently, I put that in the wrong place. Can we go? <laughs> I want to look at Jude. Can we look at Jude? There it is. Jude doesn't have a chapter. It's just one chapter. Verses 10 and 11. These people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all they like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain, 
to Balaam's era, error, and Paris and Korah's rebellion. Now, if you look at Balaam, he has a false prophet who encouraged idolatry, right? These are in numbers and it's referred to in other places in scripture. Anyway, he um, encouraged idolatry and he loved to, uh, he liked the results of, of righteousness. They say, well, he loved money. And I would say, no, it says that he enjoyed the fruit of unrighteousness. And I'm not sure the fruit of unrighteousness was always cash for Balaam. But anyway, it doesn't matter. I mean, he enjoyed unrighteousness. If, he, if I can get you to misbehave and then there's some benefit to me, think about that, right? So, I mean, whether it's cash or whether it's like making me more important or making me seem smart and you stupid, I don't know. What is it you get out of unrighteousness of others? But Balaam enjoyed that, okay? And he blasphemed God in the process. Korah's rebellion is when he usurped Moses' position and he said, I'm gonna take charge. And he usurped Moses' position. And Moses was God's chosen person. But he set himself up as an authority in contradiction to God. I want you to listen, think about how often we do that. Well, here's an authority. This person knows so much. Let's follow this person. Well, God didn't say that. Well, I don't care, but this person said that. And when I tell you I argue with God, I'm telling you that is when I want the authority and I want God to listen to me and do it my way. I get that impulse because it is so strong in me. It's never once worked out well, not ever. But it never changes my sincere desire to do things my own way, no matter what God says. Does anybody else struggle with sin? I just need to know because y'all are looking at me like, wow, I never heard of that. Am I not? Yeah, thank you. Hello, we got some. Oh, yeah, okay. So, what we need before God is a little bit of humility, a little bit of like prayer, a little bit of fasting. How many times do you, do you fast regularly and say, Lord, please, you know, please, thy will be done? I don't, I don't even have enough sense, Lord, to ask for what's right. Why don't you, you decide? Because I appear to have gotten myself in. Figure it out, Lord, because I am not God and I should not have played God. We need that sort of sense in ourselves all the time, right? What is that in this passage with Cain, when we talk about Cain, and then it comes back to it in Jude, where he's talking about it again, he says, you know, people blaspheme, they don't understand what's going on. And they destroyed things that we should know. Even unreasoning, unreasoning animals know these things, right? And we don't, we don't pretend to know them ourselves. We go, oh, well, we're, I don't know, smarter than everybody else. The point is this, is this, that the entire ethos of American culture today is absolutely immersed, immersed in this particular, you know, mindset, right? We blaspheme what we do not understand, you know, that all people are made in the image of God. Oh, that's hate speech. How is that not blaspheming what you do not understand? The only thing that gives a human being value is the fact that God loves them. If you don't believe that, go and look, say, at the Ukraine where, where, where you know, Russia just bombed the fool out of it. Okay. Look throughout history over and over again. Look in the look in the Middle Eastern um, areas. They don't care about anybody but their own. And that even in sex, S-E-C-T-S, okay? They'll bomb each other inside there. Because human value has no life apart from the gospel and Jesus Christ who died for you. It has no value at all. So when you say, oh, well, you're made in the image of God, that's hate speech. You haven't seen hate until you look at that and be honest about it. They're willing to kill one another. Oh, this is a this is a this is a Down syndrome young woman. Let's strap a belt to her and blow her up. Doesn't that make you proud? That's that's you. That there you go. Love of human beings, right there. That's horrific, is it not? When you lose the notion of the image of God in every human being, 
then all you have are animals. And isn't that how we act with violence? Okay. With the things that we do to one another, the harm that we create. Can we not see that these attitudes and the views that were going on in Cain's life and in, in the reality of sin that's crouching at your door, the desire for to blaspheme God, the desire to, to rule? Can you not see these things in our world? They produce wickedness. They produce evil. Can you, do you not see our, our desire to be like God and have all authority? It's not just me. We all do that. How many of you think, I want to, here's, what, here's my plans for the future. How many of y'all got a plan for the future? How many of you ask the Lord what that plan would be? Yeah, see, that's kind of, you know, we need to have that. That's important. We need to recognize the presence of violence, idolatry. And I will not ever tell you that it is okay for Christians to go be violent against one another. And yet I will also say to you that Jesus knew there would be wars. And so you need to sign up for what is good. I think the hard part for me right now is the ability to discern what is good in our world and what is evil. Because we call evil good and good evil, and it's very hard to know what we are standing for. Right? The image of God is hate speech. That occurred in the, um, what is it, during, the, uh, during um, Iraq and Iran, I mean, Iraq war over there, isn't that right in Afghanistan? Mm -hmm. That I mean, I don't have a recent example. I didn't, I ran out of time this week. I barely even had a lesson. I'm just saying. <laughs> but anyway, I didn't look up any recent illustrations, but certainly it's a very violent religion and they do not have value of human beings the way that Christians do. It, it, they simply don't. And, um, and that's all I got to say about that. But that's where that came from. That was, that was, that, that, they did do that. Do we not think that we're very smart by believing that we are animals? Think about evolution. Oh, you're nothing but an animal. You're just an advanced animal. You're the highest form of an animal. There's nothing that lies. Think how smart we think we are. But you're just an animal. Wow. How far we've fallen. And we're so arrogant about it. We have such hubris. So look at the flood real quick. I'm going to go for another. Yeah, one more. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was, was, hello. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the, of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. That's a tough kind of little pill to swallow there, isn't it? The word for regret is really, is really translated repent in Hebrew. And I learned that from somebody else because I don't speak Hebrew. Okay, so we're going to take this on faith. But repent means to turn around. In other words, God turned his back on the people and let it flood. And so what we want to look at when we look at that, he regretted, he repented, he turned around, okay, and turned his back on creation. The issue at stake is the same one for, that was with Cain. He became wicked and evil, and they did evil things, and everybody was corrupt, right? 
when I'm, I mean, everybody's perfect. Now, I'm not an international sojourner with lots of knowledge about tons of other nations, but I got to tell you, when people say everybody's corrupt, I go, oh, D.C., okay, Washington, D.C., that's it. Okay. I don't know if that's true, but that's the first thought that runs through my mind right now. So anyway, Cain was wicked because he didn't struggle against sin. And you know what happens to the rest of us when we don't struggle against sin? Intentionally or not, we become wicked and we self-destruct. We become our own masters until slave, until sin has mastered us entirely and enslaved us entirely. Do we struggle against our sin or are we mastered by evil? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. You fast and pray to overcome those things. When you think about our society and think about our church, how do we not see, you know, how, how, how do we not see that we ignore sin? How do we not see that? Do, do you not realize that we ignore sin all the time? When is the last time we talked seriously about the nature of selfishness and what it means to be selfless? If you think I'm going to start talking about sex, you're mistaken. I'm, we got bunches of sins to talk about. You didn't end up with problems over sexuality by accident. It started with pride. It started with alienation from God. Let's readdress those things. How many of us think we know better than God? There are people all the time. How many of us correct God? I know better than what it says here in the scriptures. Don't we do that all the time? Okay, a little further along, let's have the next one in six. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence and God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said, and now I have determined to make an end of all of flesh for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Those are Cain's descendants because you see the descendant from Adam is Noah saying in Cain's descendants die in the flood. There is no more, right? Friends, sin spreads so easily. It started in Cain who embraced evil rather than struggling against it. I am not going to fight against evil. I'm not going to try to master the sin that's crouching at my door. And when he does that, what happens? It masters him. And then it spreads like a, like a contagion or like a plague. Oh, it could be a pandemic just everywhere. It goes on and on and on until everybody is evil, until everybody is corrupt, until everybody is violent. And God says, oh, you know, I'm turning my back. We're going to wash it all away. God doesn't really desire corruption and violence. That's not why we exist, so that we can enjoy those things. He does not desire to harm us and wash us away. He doesn't desire for us to die in huge floods. Nothing. It's his responsibility how he intends to address those people. I know that Jesus descended into dead. What I want you to realize is that the world in which God reigns is far greater than what you see. That your creator is alive and well, and that he is active far beyond anything you know. And you conform to him. He does not conform to us. He comes and searches us out. He loves us. He gives us value. He draws us and calls us to him. But he does not conform to us. He calls us to conform to him. And that's your life's work. The single most important thing you will do with your life for the entirety of your life is to conform yourself to Christ in prayer, in fasting, in works, in beliefs, in, in deeds, in virtue, in holiness. 
the single most important thing you'll do in your life. And when you do that, you will leave an impact that you can't even begin to measure behind you. Or you will have been Christ in the world somehow, some way, as limited as we are. I want to make three quick points in closing because I make points so quickly, you know. Anyway, first, God promised he's not going to flood the earth again, right? He's not going to destroy the, the earth again, but God will act. It's his creation. Now, he acted for our salvation in Jesus Christ, but he's not going to tolerate the Christians not being Christian. He's not going to. He won't. He's going to. Think of how often Paul corrected people for their, uh, their blasphemy or their idolatry or their false teachings. What makes you think that God's going to look at us now and go, oh, well, it doesn't matter now because y'all are in the 21st century and you're smart. You think you're advanced animals. You're how dumb can you get, you know? God hates unrighteousness. He hated it enough to wash away all the people in the flood and start again with Noah. He hates unrighteousness. And what do we do in embracing unrighteousness ever? And I do that. I'm not not picking on any particular sin. Think of how often we like unrighteousness. Anybody ever prop your feet up when you know your neighbor needs something? I have done enough today. I hope somebody else goes and helps them because I'm pooped. I'm going to sit in. I'm just saying, it can be little things. It doesn't have to be a great big thing where we're unrighteous. How many times do you think, I don't really need to read the Bible. You know, I go, to, I go to a Bible study once a week, and so I know enough of the Bible. I don't need to read it every day. Anybody do that? Everybody's like, I'm not, I'm not answering that question. <laughs> Think how hard that is. I'm just throwing some examples out there. Because unrighteousness comes in many forms. You know, idolatry comes in many forms. Right? The second thing I want to say is that God gave dominion to the man and the woman in the garden. When they, I mean, before the garden. In Genesis 1, he says, I gave them dominion over the plants of the field, birds of the air, everything. And he said, rule, you know, and uh, be fruitful and multiply. So do the earth, is what he said, to the man and to the woman. The church has always held, not the Baptist church, but the church in general for centuries, millennia have held that in that moment, God established the equality of men and women right there. All right. And, you know, both of you rule. Right? But after the fall, and while they're, in, while they're in the garden, right, all of a sudden, they just walk by on the trees like, here, have my fruit and you can live. Here, have my fruit and you can live. Here, have my fruit and you can live. All that was available to them. But Adam did what? I want that fruit. And that tree was like, no, no. Okay. But the fruit was just there. It was available. Everything they needed to live. Eat whatever fruit you want. But that one, and, and that's all the rest available to you. That's the image of God's bounty for you. When we worry about things, that's the image. I will give you everything you want except for sin. I'm not going to give you sin. You don't get to be my equal. I'm God. You're not. That's what that is. Right? And so he sits there and he gives it. And then along comes Adam. And and Adam is like, Adam and Eve eat the wrong, eat eat the fruit they're not supposed to eat. They kicked out of the garden. What what does God say to Adam? You're going to work the ground if you're going to eat. Whereas the trees were just giving up fruit before. Now he's going to have to work the ground to get food. But look at Genesis 4, what God says to Cain. The ground's not going to give you food for you to have chosen evil and struggle against sin. The ground is not even going to give food to Cain. Think about that. Y'all ever planted a garden? I did. 
Let me tell you, the key to a really, really good garden, I know the key. All right. If you want to have a great garden, get Bill to do it. (laughs) (laughs) That's the way to get a good garden. Okay. So anyway, but yielding up the fruit, it takes a lot of work. I paid the water bill. He did a lot of work. <laughs> but anyway, I had room in my yard for a garden, so that's what we did. But anyway, it's a lot of work. And then Cain's not even going to get anything out of the ground, right? The third thing I want to say is that the ark, when God calls Noah and he builds an ark, right? The ark is the very first image in scripture of the church. So as you sit and the whole world around you is chaos and, and the floods are rising, you know, the, the flood waters are rising, The church is the place that connects you to eternity, to connect you beyond the world. Here's the place where the chosen are saved and carried above the waters. And I'll tell you what, you know what? Jim Welch says this all the time, and he's probably, it's probably not original to him because it's so true. You know, the ark is a great place to be if you can stand the stench. All right. I found that to be true in the church as well. Okay. (laughs) But the point is that God is going to save his people. He does it through Noah, right? Right there. But creation has completely and totally, Adam and Eve had dominion over creation, and now creation has destroyed everything. Not only are they not dependent on God, they're not, they can't even depend on creation, for creation is now dominating human beings. How many of y'all have flooded? How many of y'all saw the news about the Kentucky It's up to 25 deaths this morning? How tragic can that be, Right? Think of, think of all the disasters that you know of in your lifetime and how horrible they've been, right? Creation owns us and it destroys us. So you can either trust in creation or you can trust in God. Those are your choices. And you'd rather be in the ark, even with the stench. Now, we, we're to be the light to the world. We are God's chosen people, his royal, his royal priesthood. It is time for us to own that in a world that is like hopelessly confused in a morass of like falsehoods we need now more than ever to be to be true light and you can only be true light if you abide in christ every day and draw light from him you can only be light in life if light and life dwells in you by the spirit truth is unchanging reality is what it is and it doesn't matter what you hear from anybody else Every century, every nation across the world since time, you know, since Christ anyway, all of that truth has been revealed in him. And it's never changed for any culture, for any practices, for any human, you know, plans. It's never changed. We don't get to change it either. But we can live in it and be a light unto the world. You know, the verse that I've been using in all of this, right, is the one that, um, I'm, I'm cutting to the end. I'm just skipping. So because I'm like, oh, okay, I'm right. Already running over. Yes, again. I'm sorry. If I got here on time, it wouldn't be so bad. I know. Man. We need to know what the gospel is. We need to believe it and take it seriously. And we need to realize that this world is passing and pleading. Because when you know that, remember we talked about it last week. I read the quote from the guy who said, the only free man is the one who does not depend on anything here. The one who knows that he will live on. The one who knows what is beyond so that he is free to live here now. And that's who we want to be. We want to be a people who are free now, right? The natural person does not accept. And, and, and the natural person does not accept. People of the world do not accept the things of the spirit of God. 
Isn't that the might, right? For they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The goal of Christian life is to have as much of Christ's mind as you can. And I want to be clear that I think we only have a tiny portion, that God is so much more than we are. But at the very least, we should know that he is truth and we do not want to stray from him. At the very least, we want to know that. Right? And you want to hold tight above all else to him. Because whatever else you hear, if it contradicts that, then if it contradicts what he's taught, then it's not good for you. It doesn't matter how appealing it is. It doesn't matter what the whole wide world tells you. We live in a world that doesn't even acknowledge a spiritual world, a spiritual realm. There's no idea of the demonic. There's no idea of angels. There's no, the scriptures are replete with references to that. How many of y'all ever think about any of the spiritual world beyond what you can see? And God created it all. And some of it went bad. We don't want them to lead us. We are to have the mind of Christ. That means we are to understand the world as God understands the world. See the world as God sees the world. We have the scriptures. We have the creed. Right? And I think those things are important. The reason I think the creed is so important is because everybody uses the scriptures and they can use it any way they want. But the creed says, no, you can't get outside the boundaries of these beliefs. You get outside the boundaries of these beliefs and you're believing wrong stuff. Here's the pathway to God. The creed lays out a pathway to God. Doesn't replace the scripture at all. It's the way you interpret scripture. It's the correct way. And it's held Christianity faith steady and fast for 2,000 years. I recommend it to you. Any comments or questions before we close? Gracious God, as we go forth from here, may we go forth in the power of your spirit, in the hope of your resurrection, and in the strength of your love. Direct our thoughts, direct our steps, and lead us ever onward toward you with our hands stretched out to bring as many with us as we go. These things we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. I don't know, they're already on the end. We need to you and Troy the ones who don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. It's just a lot. I have a time to talk.